0: Well good morning Evergreen. Good morning. It's good to be back with you guys this morning and bring greetings today from your sister congregation uh, Rosedale Baptist Church and uh, know that we we love you. We are often in prayer for you and in prayer for your your pastor and your leadership here and it's uh, it's been a real joy for us as a congregation to be able to walk alongside of you and it's been a real joy uh, to walk alongside of the Nossel family, alongside of Lucas and Hannah. These past uh, few years, had the privilege of knowing this family uh, for a number of years now as members of our church, first of all, and then um, as Lucas came on the elders' board, and uh, then as uh, the Lord made it clear to Lucas and to the congregation of, of what his plan and direction was. And uh, so today is really the culmination of a, of a long process of God's working In uh, the life of this family and the life of of your pastor. And it's a real joy today to be able to ordain him. Uh, I'm not going to say a whole lot about about ordination, but ordination uh, comes actually from the pastoral epistles uh, where Paul tells Timothy to uh, fan into flame the gift that was conferred through the laying on of hands. And so this is the clearest reference in the New Testament to ordination. Ordination is uh, not a a magical ceremony. Uh, It's not a sacrament of the church. What ordination is, is a formal and public recognition of God's calling upon a man. God's uh, gifting for the the work of ministry and for the office uh, of the pastorate, for the office of an elder or an overseer of Christ's church. And So that's what we're doing today. This is not a mystical ceremony this is a, uh, a very uh, joyful occasion where we are publicly and formally recognizing the gifting and the call that has uh, been placed upon your pastor, and we're going to pray for him, and uh, not just today, but we're going to continue to pray for, uh, for Pastor Lucas and for your congregation as he continues to serve the Lord and to grow in ministry. <clears throat> You know, one of the great adventurers of the early 20th century was an Irish mariner by the name of Ernest Shackleton. How many have heard of Shackleton before? Shackleton uh, was born in the year 1874. He joined the Merchant Navy uh, at the age of 16 years old, and he soon became an expert sailor with significant experience on the sea. In 1901, he joined a famous naval officer, and they set sail for the South Pole, And Shackleton and a small party trekked through Antarctica, further south than anyone uh, had gone up to that point in history. Shackleton then made a second trip to to Antarctica in 1907. And on the second trip, he came within 100 miles of the South Pole before the weather conditions got bad and forced uh, the captain and the crew to turn back. And uh, back in these days, this was like going to the moon. This was was uh, traveling to the far, far ends uh, of of the earth. Well, seven years later, August of 1914, Shackleton departed on a ship called the Endurance for what became his most famous and harrowing trip. In preparation for this trip, and in need of a crew that was willing to risk everything in the mission, Shackleton, and uh, there's some skepticism about this, but we're going to go with it anyway, but uh, Shackleton allegedly posted an ad- advertisement in, the, in a London newspaper, and this is what it said. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honour and recognition in case of success. <laughs> you read that, you say, well, I mean, who in their right mind would sign up for something like that? But uh, Shackleton uh, managed to create tremendous interest for this mission. He recruited quite uh, rapidly a crew of 28 men who were willing to hazard their lives for the sake of the mission. And if you know the story of Shackleton and his ship, The Endurance, you'll know these men got more than they bargained for. The ship got trapped in the winter ice. It broke into pieces. It then sank to the bottom of the ocean, leaving the crew with only a few, few small lifecrafts. But Captain Shackleton did not give up hope. Taking responsibility for the lives of his 28 men, he evacuated the ship. He set up survival camps on the ice. He froze his fingers and his feet, and then he made an 800-mile journey in an open life raft where he somehow managed to survive and to weather a hurricane at sea. In the end, he arrived at an inhabited island. He was able to charter a steamboat to rescue the men. And miraculously, all 28 members of the crew survived the ordeal. And their captain went down in history as one of the most courageous and heroic explorers of all time. And it all started with a radical call. A radical call. Well, this morning, churches, we have gathered together to worship our God and also to ordain your pastor to corporately and publicly recognize the calling and the gifting that the Lord has given him we're going to consider a biblical example of this radical call and consecration for ministry. We're going to look to the Old Testament today, the call of Elisha, and Elisha's unwavering commitment to move forward in obedience to the Lord and never to turn back. So if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to open it with me. You can turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, we're going to read a few verses from chapter 19. We have a second text also this morning that has already been read from the New Testament Gospel of Luke. So 1 Kings 19, and then we'll be flipping briefly to Luke chapter 9. Luke 19, I'm going to start reading in verse 19. I remind you as I read, this is God's inspired and inerrant word. It says there, so he, that is Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. Well friends, as we consider this morning the call of Elisha, the way in which it serves as a model and an encouragement to your pastor, we're going to consider the text before us under three main headings today. First of all, we're going to consider a prophet recommissioned. Secondly, we're going to see a farmer requisitioned. And then thirdly and finally, we're going to look at an allegiance revolutionized. And so that's where we're heading this morning with the help of our God. A prophet recommissioned, a farmer requisitioned, and an allegiance revolutionized. Rosedale Baptist in Welland, I've been preaching a sermon series, and we've Been uh, in this series for over a year now through the book of 1st and 2nd Kings. And uh, just recently we have completed together as a church family this section of text dealing with the prophet Elijah. And I have to say of all of the parts of the Bible, Elijah is one of my favorites. I've always loved the narrative of the prophet Elijah, these Old Testament stories of Elijah, and I've really enjoyed preaching through this section of text. I'm sure that many of you here at Evergreen are familiar with Elijah's ministry, this exciting story of God's prophet. We remember how Elijah boldly confronted King Ahab, how he obediently submitted to God's direction and leading, how he battled the false prophets up on Mount Carmel, and won a great victory over the false prophets of Baal. We see in these chapters of 1 Kings how Elijah was a man of piety and a prayer. The great man of prayer, he prayed for the fire to fall from heaven and then he prayed for the rain to start falling and it started to fall. We learn about the miracles that God performed through Elijah's ministry, the ravens that brought food to him out in the wilderness, the oil jar that never runs dry during the famine, even a widow's son who was raised from the dead. And then, of course, we also remember how this great man of God fell into a state of discouragement and even depression. And the Bible tells us how Elijah's victory on the mountain was followed by a deep valley of discouragement, even despair. God's prophet abandons for a time his mission. He retreats far south into the desert. And uh, we see through this discouragement, discouraging time, Elijah was a great man. He was a great prophet of God, but he was also a man with clay feet. He was an ordinary man. He was a man like us, who sometimes got discouraged, who sometimes got depressed in the course of life's trials. And God had so mercifully and so patiently borne with the weakness of this prodigal prophet, the end result here in chapter 19 is a restoration and a recommissioning of the prophet Elijah. And it foreshadows in some ways the the New Testament narrative about Jesus and Peter. Do you remember how Jesus restored and recommissioned a downcast Peter in the days following the resurrection? And here we see in the Old Testament a similar story. We see God coming alongside of this weary servant and giving him a new assignment. And he says to him, Elijah, I'm not done with you yet. I still have work for you to do. And God gives him a second chance as he's done so many times with you and me when we have failed when we have faltered and stumbled in our own course of obedience. Elijah is restored and recommissioned by God. The recommissioning of the prophet is it's actually described a little bit earlier on in this same chapter. You can look up the page to verse 15. Chapter 19, verse 15. It says there, And the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Mahola you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. In spite of everything that's transpired, the Lord still has work for the prophet Elijah to do. From this point in the narrative, Elijah is going to be the anointer of kings. He's going to anoint the kings of Israel, even kings beyond the borders of Israel. In addition to God's anointing of kings and rulers, Elijah is given the privilege of anointing his own successor in ministry. The prophet Elisha, who is introduced to us here in chapter 19 and who will very soon come to the forefront of the action in the book of Kings. As the readers of the book, we know that Elijah has been restored back into a right relationship with the Lord. He is now walking in an obedience and faith. And Christian friend, this is an encouraging passage. I hope that you find this an encouragement this morning. That we too can be restored into a right relationship with our God whenever we stumble off the path that he has revealed to us in scripture 1 John 1:9 this is a a wonderful promise when we wander off the path it says that if we for confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if you are a christian believer and you have been living in outright disobedience to the lord or if you know in your heart of hearts you've been grieving the spirit you've been walking only in partial obedience To God, Elijah's story should convict you and it should encourage you. Not causing you to despair, not causing you to run further away from God, but rather causing you to run towards him in repentance. Knowing he, your loving Father in heaven, is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He is indeed like the Father in the parable of the prodigal son. He waits for the wanderer with open arms. And he welcomes repentant sinners back into the family. And if you're a prodigal like Elijah was, if you are out sulking and wandering in the wilderness, the Lord is ready. He is willing to restore you and to recommission you to service in his kingdom. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our text this morning begins with a prodigal prophet restored and recommissioned continues secondly in verses 19 to 20 with a farmer requisitioned. So let's look again at the text here in 1 Kings 19, chapter 19, verses 19 and 20. It says there, So Elijah departed from there and found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? Now friends, we, we don't know a whole lot about this man named Elisha other than the name of his father and the place of his birth. We know that Elisha, just like Elijah, was from the northern territory of Israel. He lived in a place called abel Mahola. If you look that up in a, in a Bible atlas, you'll find that it's farmland in the Jordan River Valley. Elisha's name means God is my salvation. That indicates something, I think, about the faith of his mom and dad, the type of home that he grew up in. Elisha's family was among the 7,000 people in northern Israel that had not bowed the knee. We can also infer from the text before us, Elisha's family is well off financially. For we're told in verse 19, he was tilling the soil... With 12 team of oxen, when Elijah meets him in the field. Now, not many farmers use oxen anymore. We might, we might say in more modern terms, this was a, a farm with 12 tractors. a farm with 12 tractors and 12 plows. This must have been a considerable amount of land that needed to be plowed and planted and tended by the workers. And so it seems as though Elisha was the son of a successful farmer. And very likely, Elisha was heir to the family business. He was a hard worker. He was a young man. And, uh, and, and his whole life lay ahead of him. Promising future. But even though Elisha's father most likely had plans for his son to inherit this farm, we see in verse 16, the Lord had other plans for Elisha's future. Because God had chosen this man to be a prophet in Israel. God had already named him as Elijah's successor. Friends, this part of Elisha's story is a good and encouraging reminder for us. God has a good and a sovereign plan for each one of his children. He has a good plan for us. He he knows and he has already planned the future course that each and every one of our lives will take. And that to me is a great source of comfort and encouragement. We have a loving father who has sovereignly charted our course. You know, about 20 Years ago, when I was seriously considering the future direction of my own life, I was considering as a a young man the the career path that I wanted to pursue. I was sure I was on track to become a veterinarian, and eventually to work alongside of my own father, who had a well-established practice in our hometown. And I had an idea in my mind of, of where my life was heading, where my future was heading, but once I got to the University of Guelph, The Lord completely changed my life. He totally changed my direction. I I went to university in order to study biology. I went there to prepare for a career in vet medicine, but but God providentially steered me elsewhere. And he led me towards a godly wife in those years. He changed my passions. He changed my interests. He changed them from science to theology and to evangelism. During university, I I majored in ministry, and I minored in biology, it was, it was one of the greatest periods of spiritual growth I've ever, ever experienced. I, I think back on those days, I wouldn't trade those days of preparation for anything. And you know, interestingly, I know that Pastor Lucas has walked a similar road, a very similar road, in fact, that has led him to this day, the day of his ordination. I first met Lucas when he was a science student at Brock University, and um, I was for a about eight eight or ten years on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ and uh, was invited to speak to the student ministry there at Brock and I got to meet Lucas. And a few years later when Lucas graduated from Brock, he got married, I was was overjoyed when, when he told me one day that he and Hannah were moving back to the Niagara region and that they had planned to settle down at Rosedale to make Rosedale their home church. At the time, Lucas was working in a lab in, in St. Catharines, but he was trying to discern God's direction will for his life. He, he wanted to know, does God want me to pursue a career in science and medicine, or is God calling me to pursue vocational ministry? And I can clearly remember Lucas in that period wrestling with God's will, just as I once did. And I remember how Lucas decided finally to enroll in seminary. He, he came on at our church as a pastoral intern. This was a real step of faith for him because at the time we, we couldn't afford to pay him a full-time salary. And so he came on, I think, during parental leave and, uh, and was part-time on staff, and I think I probably gave him a full-time load of work. Lucas, Lucas did a lot at our church. He was a very, very faithful servant of, of God. We had the privilege at our church to see Lucas grow we, we saw right before our eyes, we saw him develop as a preacher and a teacher. We, we saw him grow as a shepherd in his own home as, as a husband and a father. And it soon became evident to Lucas and Hannah. It became evident to our team of elders. It became evident to our whole congregation, the Lord has set this man apart. The Lord has, has set this man apart for vocational ministry. Lucas served as my pastoral associate for two years. And it, it was such a joy for me to see him and Hannah discern God's call and God's direction one step at a time. And it didn't end there. It was also God's sovereign, providential hand that brought him here to Evergreen. As we, at the time, we were, we were considering the possibility of a church plant at Rosedale and in the midst of all of our discussions among the elders of what God was calling us to do as a church family, I received... An email out of the blue from your former pastor, Tim Tyson, saying, John, do you, do you happen to know of any man who might be qualified to be the pastor of, of Evergreen? And I thought about it. I thought, should I ignore it? And I said, no. And I, I responded to Tim, and I said, Tim, I, I know the perfect man for the job. And I have found over the course of my own life thus far, God has been totally sovereign, totally trustworthy in every conceivable way. And I hope you can look back at your life and say the same thing. The Lord has been faithful. The Lord has led me every step of the way. I, I look back on the pathway that I've walked in life and I, I so clearly discern God's sovereign direction in so many ways. Doors that God opened at, at the right time, doors that God closed, that I wanted to go through, but... But God said no and, and, and protected me and my family and redirected our, our course at the right time. And I'm sure many of you here this morning could share a similar testimony, how God redirected your course, how he modified your plans in ways that you would never have ever planned or ever expected. I don't know if there are any young, young adults here this morning, maybe a few, but young adults. Young adults. It is good for you guys to have a plan. It is good to have a vision for the future course of your life. But let me encourage you, make sure that you hold all of your plans, that you hold all of your dreams loosely and with an open hand. Our attitude as Christ followers ought to be this as we journey through life. The lyrics of of an old chorus that we used to sing, All of my ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender these into your hands for it's only in your will that I am free. Like your pastor Lucas, Elisha was a young man. He had a bright, prosperous future ahead of him. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with being a farmer. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with being a doctor. Praise God for farmers and doctors. Every vocation is holy to the Lord when we do it for the glory of God. And I want you to hear this Very clearly today, this was a principle of of the Protestant Reformation that came through. The pastoral vocation is no more holy than any other vocation. It's no more holy than any other vocation represented here in this room today. But it is a different vocation. It's a unique vocation and calling. And when it came to Elisha, God had given him a different field to plow. This is also true of our brother Lucas, and friends, I guarantee you, when Elisha woke up that morning, he went out to plow the field with the 12 teams of oxen. He had no idea how radically his life was about to be changed. And he was about to be requisitioned for a new adventure. You know, friends, as I thought this week about Elisha's call to ministry, I was reminded of John Calvin's call to ministry. The way in which God appointed Calvin to take up a task that he did not particularly want You know, friends, John Calvin did not start out with any aspirations to become a reformer or even to become a pastor. He was a scholar. He was a bookworm. He wanted to make his mark as a Renaissance humanist. He wanted to become a well-known scholar. Like Erasmus of Rotterdam, he wanted to spend his life in the solitude of his studies. You know, at John Calvin's first published work, it was not a commentary on the Holy Scripture. It was a commentary on the writings of a Roman philosopher named Seneca And as a young and ambitious student of the Renaissance, he he thought this academic book would launch his career as a humanist and would put him on the map as a scholar to be reckoned with. But God in his grace had had other plans for John Calvin. He had a different outlet for his many gifts and abilities. When Calvin was converted to the Protestant faith, he was forced to flee France due to the threat of martyrdom. Calvin's plan was to take refuge in Strasbourg. He said, I can continue my studies there under the tutelage of Martin Butzer, who was at the time one of the great Protestant scholars and authors. And Calvin knew exactly what he was looking for in life, and he only planned to spend one night in the city of Geneva on his way through. But in God's strange providence, that one overnight stay in Geneva turned out to be life-changing For it was on that occasion that John Calvin made the acquaintance of a fiery, red-headed preacher by the name of Guillaume Pharrell. And Pharrell had started the work of Reformation in Geneva, but he had not yet consolidated the gains and and he knew that he needed help. And so Calvin came through the city that night and stayed with Pharrell. And Pharrell begged him that he would stay and join him in the work of Reformation. While Calvin said, that's... I'm flattered, Pastor Pharrell, thank you for thinking of me, and politely declined the offer of a call. But then Pharrell took the bull by the horns. <laughs> he, he looked at Calvin with those piercing eyes, and he spoke to Calvin with a thunderous voice, and he said these words to the young man. He said, may God curse you and your studies if you do not join me here in the work of reformation. <laughs> And Kelvin was, was apparently visibly shaken, visibly shaken by Pharrell's imprecatory cursing. And after several moments of stunned silence, he gave this answer to the elderly pastor, I will remain in Geneva. <laughs> I give myself to the Lord's good pleasure and Calvin's overnight stay in Geneva, it turned into a lifetime of fruitful pastoral labor. It was a Roman Catholic stronghold that was converted into a Protestant stronghold. It became a sending ground for thousands of pastors and missionaries. To France, the Huguenot movement. John Calvin had his own plans. He had his own dreams for the future, but God had a different plan for Calvin's life and he used the fiery influence of Pharrell to requisition him for the work of ministry. Now, in God's calling of Calvin, Pharrell had to utter sanctified threats in order to gain his consent. And I was thinking, thankfully, we didn't have to do that with Pastor Lucas. We didn't have to call down the covenant curses upon him. But in the case of Elisha, all that was needed on Elijah's part was a simple symbolic action described for us here in verse 19. The fact that Elijah passed by him, and it says that he threw his cloak on him. Now it seems very likely that Elijah the prophet was well known to this devout family of Jewish farmers. Elisha immediately understood what this gesture meant. God had chosen him to receive Elijah's prophetic mantle and to be the successor in this mighty work. And amazingly, Elisha responds to this call without any argument. There's no protest here. He doesn't pull a Moses. He doesn't come up with a dozen-one excuses on why God should choose someone else. He doesn't pull a Gideon. He doesn't say, I'm going to lay out a fleece tonight, God, and, and I'll, I'll check it in the morning to see what your will is. No, all we hear from Elisha here, a simple request that he may say farewell to mom and dad, that he may appropriately honor his mother and father. And Elisha did not wake up that day with any aspirations to become a prophet of God. He had his own plan. He had his own dreams for his future. But what's remarkable in these verses, he is already willing to respond to the sovereign calling and initiative of God. He gives up his own plans, his own ambitions. He says yes to the Lord. He embraces the lot that God had ordained for him. And friends, I can say I've seen something of this in our brother Lucas. Lucas. Lucas gave up the possibility of a career in medicine. And I know Lucas well enough. Lucas would have been a great doctor. Lucas was an excellent student of science. He would have made a a fantastic doctor. But Lucas instead decided to take the road less traveled. He decided to do what God was asking him to do. And it's not only Lucas, but Hannah as well, who wanted to be equally obedient to God's calling and direction for their family. How important, brethren, it is. How important that each one of us has this willingness to follow the Lord wherever he leads in life. To give to the Lord, as it were, a blank check for our lives. And to say as Ruth once did to her mother-in-law, Naomi, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. That, friends, is the attitude of a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is illustrated here in the response of Elisha the prophet. Here is a young man who has given God a blank check for his life. We see so far in this text, the first main points, a prophet recommission and a farmer requisition. Thirdly and finally, we come to the best part of the story. I think, anyway. Which is and allegiance revolutionized. Look with me again at verse 21. First Kings 19, verse 21, it says, And he returned from following him, and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Before he takes up Elijah's prophetic mantle, before he leaves the family farm forever, Elisha has one final thing to do as an act of worship and consecration to God. As a sign to his mom and dad that this is not an impulsive, youthful whim. As a sign to the Lord God that he is fully committed to the ministry now being entrusted to him, Elisha does something that must have seemed shocking, if not altogether extreme. And this is what he does. He he torches one of the farm tractors. He torches one of the tractors, so to speak, and in, in doing this, he destroys one-twelfth of his father's farming equipment. Now, under normal circumstances, we would consider something like that to be an act of vandalism. But in the case of Elisha, this is not vandalism. This is a remarkable expression of worship. It's a, a remarkable expression expression of his consecration to the Lord. To put it bluntly, this is a clear unambiguous sign. There is no going back to the farm. This is a burning of bridges in the best sense of the phrase. Elisha sacrifices two of the working oxen and then think of it, he uses the wood from the yoke and probably the wood from the plow to sacrifice the animal as an act of worship to the Lord. And you can only wonder what mom and dad were thinking about this. The text doesn't really say. Hopefully, hopefully it was a moment of great rejoicing, a moment of great thanksgiving for this family as they worship God together, as they send their son to be trained up by Elijah. Elisha's call to ministry, you see, cannot be separated from his wholehearted consecration to the work. His allegiance has been completely, irreversibly revolutionized. There is no turning back for this young man. I have decided to follow Yahweh, he's singing. No turning back. No turning back. I'm not sure about you, brethren. I I love this story of Elisha's calling. I love this story. I I love the power of this public act of consecration, worship on the farm. It's like... It's like the men who courageously responded to Shackleton's ad in the newspaper. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Sign me up. I'm ready to go. You know, another one of my favorite accounts of God's calling into ministry is that of John Patton. John Patton was a missionary who God raised up to bring the gospel to the New Hebrides. And at that time, this area was famous for its cannibalistic tribes. Very, very dangerous place for a European to go. And as Patton was preparing to obey God's call to the mission field, one of the elders at his home church in England attempted to dissuade him from getting on board the ship. And this is what he said to to the young missionary Patton. He said, "'Do you not know, Mr. Patton, "'you will be eaten by cannibals when you arrive?' To which John Patton replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. Imagine saying that to your, your pastor, your elders consecration to the Lord, a willingness to count the cost of discipleship, that is exemplified in men like Patton and Elisha in women like Ruth. And it it's also one of the things that God requires of pastors in the local church. That is why I've chosen this text for this, for this occasion today. And by the way, friends, this kind of consecration to the Lord is not merely required of Old Testament prophets. It's not merely required of New Testament pastors or of missionaries who go to foreign fields. More generally, this is the consecration that God requires from all of his new covenant people. And from every one of us who would identify as a disciple or a follower of Christ. And so at this point in the message, we're going to leave the book of 1 Kings for just a moment. We're going to go to the New Testament to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 9, we have the record there of three different people who want to follow the Lord Jesus, and we have Jesus' response to these three would-be disciples. The text again, Luke nine fifty-seven to 62. And these, these words here in Luke's Gospel, they contain the echoes of 1 Kings 19, Elisha's call to ministry. In Elisha's case, it was the Lord who approached the young man who he chose as a prophet. In Luke 9, two of the three men approached Christ. In their case, they expressed their desire to become followers of Christ. The first of the three men who encountered the Lord Jesus on the road said that they would follow him wherever he went. But Jesus, knowing the hardships his disciples would face, informed the men that discipleship would come at a steep price, that following him would require a willingness to forego material comfort. He says, at times you will be without a home, you will be without a bed to sleep in. In other words, Jesus is challenging the idol of materialism, that our love for money, our love for possessions, worldly comforts cannot be permitted to get in the way of our mission. It must never become the priority of our lives. And so Pastor Lucas, I would challenge you, I would urge you as a brother pastor, keep your life and your ministry free from the love of money. Never ever think of your pastoral vocation as a job or as a way to earn money. This is not your job, this is your vocation. Many good men have fallen into this trap of covetousness and greed. I would urge you, brother, keep yourself far away from the love of money and possessions. Serve your flock self-sacrificially as their shepherd. Never allow yourself to become a hireling who is in ministry for the wrong reason. Well, the case of the second man in Luke 9, it is Jesus who calls out to him and says, follow me, but the second man has an excuse for why he can't do it. The second man, you see, has elderly parents, and he doesn't want to follow Jesus until after his father has died and settled the estate. He's got an interest to follow Jesus, but it's not his top priority at this stage of life. He's got other concerns that are more pressing and important. Well, the third man on the road, he he wants to follow Jesus, but he needs to say farewell to his friends and the family members back at home. And it's here in the, the call of the third man that we discern the clearest echoes of Elisha's story because you'll remember this is exactly what Elisha said to Elijah that day. He said, I need first to go and say goodbye to mom and dad. And understandably, there are some interpreters, some commentators who read the passage in Luke's gospel and they use that as the grid through which to evaluate Elisha's behavior. They read it back on the story of Elijah and they They insinuate on account of Jesus' words that Elisha was not fully committed to the call of discipleship because of this request to kiss his parents goodbye. But honestly, friends, I think that interpretation completely misses the point. The point at issue in Luke 9 is not that we'd be retroactively critical of the prophet Elisha, not that we would condemn his request to kiss his parents goodbye, but rather that we would see the absolute supremacy of Jesus Christ, the absolute priority of Christ and his kingdom work. For as great as Elisha's call to Eli- uh, by Elijah, as, as great as that call truly was in the era of the Old covenant, Christ's call to his disciples in the New covenant is even greater. We are called to something even greater as members of the new covenant to follow the Lord Jesus. This is a far higher calling than it was to follow the prophet Elijah. In fact, friends, there is no higher calling, there is no higher privilege in all the world than to count yourself as a Christian. You already, every one of you in this room, I don't care what's happening in your life, you already have the highest privilege and you are rich beyond measure to count yourself a Christian and to throw your lot in with the Lord Jesus. And although salvation is a free gift, it comes to undeserving sinners by grace alone and through faith alone, the free gift of salvation will cost you everything. That's the paradox of the Christian gospel, you see. It is a free gift, but it's the free gift that costs you everything. It is the pearl of great price for which you would be a fool not to venture everything in order to possess it. And although Jesus' teaching in Luke 9 seems somewhat severe, it is somewhat hard to bear, the point is this, Christ must come first in the Christian's life. Christ must be the supreme concern. Because, friends, in order to be a Christian and a disciple of Christ, you must deny yourself, you must take up your cross daily, you must follow him with unwavering loyalty and devotion, There's an old hymn that we used to sing called Loyalty to Christ, and it said, it's loyalty, loyalty, loyalty to Christ. That's the name of the game. And certainly, if the Lord requires that from all of his people generally, certainly he requires it from those who will shepherd and pastor his people in the fellowship of the church. The great Canadian preacher A.W. Tozer once said that there are three marks of a genuine disciple of Christ... Three marks of men and women who have been crucified with Christ and raised to new life. Number one, Tozer said, they are facing only one direction. Number two, they can never turn back. Number three, they no longer have plans of their own. The call of the Lord Jesus on the life of the Christian believer is not a casual call. It is a radical call. And it demands radical obedience. It, It is allegiance completely revolutionized. From now on, I will follow the Lord Jesus no matter what it costs me. From now on, I will submit to the Lord Jesus all of my plans for my life. From now on, I put away all of my idols. I worship Him and Him alone. From now on, I live my life to the praise of His glory as the top priority. I seek His kingdom first. And I trust Him that He adds all of these other things that I need. From now on, I consider myself to be a joyful and obedient slave of Christ. One of the the words that's unfortunately mistranslated in many of our English Bibles is servant. It's actually a slave of Christ. Paul, a slave of Christ. For as Christ said to the third man on the road, most likely with this story of Elisha replaying in his mind, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I wonder this morning, friends, have you discerned that effectual call of God in your life as the Savior calls to you by his Holy Spirit and he says to you, Follow me? I wonder this morning, Christian brothers, sister, have you given your all to him? Have you slain the oxen, so to speak? Have you burned the plow of the old way of life? Have you, Christian believer, rearranged your priorities and your plans so that the seeking of Christ's kingdom comes first? This is not a casual commitment we add on top of everything else at our own personal convenience. This is a life-altering, life-transforming commitment. It will change and reorder everything else in your life. And if you're here this morning and if you have, have never fully submitted your life to the Lord Jesus, if you have never received Him as Savior and Lord, I want to encourage you this morning. Discern the voice of the Spirit speaking and calling to you. Follow me. The call is to you today, follow me and I will make you become what I created you to become for your joy and for my greater glory. The call of Christ is follow me. The call of Elisha speaks generally of the commitment God requires of every Christian believer in closing this morning. And as we prepare to to pray for our brother and to lay hands on him, I have a charge, first of all, to your pastor, to Pastor Lucas, and a charge to you as the evergreen congregation. And so, Lucas, receive this as a solemn charge from one pastor to another. Lucas, there are going to be many times in your ministry when you will wonder if you made the right decision. There will be some times in your ministry when you will think of going back to the farm. Pastoral ministry is often a joyful calling. It's often a very joyful calling. We see the Lord working in his church. We see sinners converted. We see fruit for the labor. We see people being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. But pastoral ministry is not always a bed of roses. And Lucas, on the days when you feel like giving up, when the days that you are feeling discouraged and downcast, you want to run to the cave in Sinai. Like Elijah, say, woe is me, I'm the only one left. Maybe you you might feel on some days that you have failed in some way. You wake up depressed on Monday morning and you say, I can't believe I preached such a lousy sermon. I want you to think back on this day of your ordination. I want you to fix this day in your mind. Think back to the laying on of hands today. Lucas, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. Don't let anyone look down upon you because you are young. But set an example for this flock in your speech, in your love, in your conduct, in your faith, and in your purity. God has set you apart. He has called you to the pastoral vocation. This is what we are publicly recognizing and affirming today. This is what ordination is. It is a public recognition of your calling and vocation. Be faithful to your ministry, Lucas. Do your duty. Sometimes that That has gotten me through Paul's words. Fulfill your ministry. John, quit whining. Fulfill your ministry. Do your duty. Endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ. When the going gets tough, Lucas, don't run off the field of battle like Elijah once did. Look to the Lord for strength. Continue forward in the good fight of faith. When people in this church or in other churches hurt you, And when they sin against you, do not become jaded. Do not allow yourself to become bitter against them. Remember all that the Lord has forgiven you. And ask God for the grace to do likewise. You'll need to do so many times to die to yourself. Love the flock under your care, Lucas. Serve even the most difficult of sheep that the Lord entrusts to this pasture. Be a humble servant. Never ever lord it over the flock. Never ever use the authority that God has given you in in an abusive or in an arrogant way. You must take the posture of a humble servant. Always remember that you are a man under authority. You're a man under authority. You're under the authority of the chief shepherd. This is his flock. These are the sheep of his pasture. And always remember, Lucas, that one day We pastors will give an account to the chief shepherd of the way that we led and fed the members he entrusted to our care. When things are going well in your ministry, when God is pouring out his blessing, celebrate. Be joyful when things are going well. Give thanks to the Lord. Celebrate the victories. And Lucas, when the going gets tough, remember to count it all joy because the Lord is using those trials to to sanctify you to make you more like Christ. Lucas, do not neglect your family and the work of ministry. Do not take out your frustrations at home. Always remember, you are a shepherd in your home and family before you're a shepherd in this church. Never, ever neglect to do the essential work of leading and loving your wife Hannah and the girls. When you sin, Lucas, and when you fail in the course of your ministry and Believe me, you will. Repent. And then continue forward. When you hurt someone, ask for their forgiveness. When you've made a bad decision, own it. Be quick to give your forgiveness when people sin against you. Never forget, Lucas, the ultimate priority of your ministry as a pastor is to faithfully preach and teach the Word of God. Do not become lazy Do not become slothful in your preaching and teaching ministry. Give it your very best. Make this your priority every week along with the discipline of prayer. Avoid the temptation, Lucas, to become a man pleaser. Avoid the temptation to tone down the truth of God's word because you're afraid that it might offend people or that it might decrease your popularity among your fellow ministers. Let the Word of God shape your ministry, not a pragmatic, selfish desire to be successful in the eyes of other men. Success in ministry is not defined by the size of your congregation or what other people say about you or by the number of people that you baptize. Success in ministry is being faithful to do your duty. Faithfulness to do your duty. Preach the Word in season and out of season. Do not ever become an ear-tickling preacher who holds back in the pulpit. We have too many of those already in this country. Canada does not need ear-ticklers. Canada needs people who are willing to preach and teach the whole counsel of the Word. If it is in God's Word, Lucas, it needs to be taught from the pulpit. Do not skip over verses or chapters or paragraphs. If it is in the Word, it is fair game for the pulpit and you must teach it without apology. Never apologize for speaking the truth. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Never allow sexual sin or any other form of immorality to gain a foothold in your life and ministry. Set safeguards on yourself. Make yourself accountable to others. You must, as a pastor, kill your sin. Or as the Puritan John Owen said, your sin will kill you. When you hear stories of other pastors who have disqualified themselves And have dishonored Christ through their grievous sins and failures. Take that as a gracious warning, Lucas. Take that as a reminder. We pastors must never play around with sin. Never ever play with fire. Never ever play with temptation. Never ever allow yourself to have a secret and hidden life. I think it was John Owen who said, you are what you are in secret and nothing else. And finally, brother, don't shoulder the burden of the vocation alone. Don't start thinking that you're the Savior. Christ is the Savior. We are not Savior. Select, train, raise up godly elders and deacons who will help you in the work and who will keep you accountable. Listen carefully. Listen patiently when your fellow elders disagree with you. Not only when they agree with you, but when they disagree with you. And consider the wisdom of their words and their counsel. And always listen to your wife, because our wives have a great deal of wisdom, and she is God's gift to you. Most importantly, Lucas, I charge you to be utterly loyal to Christ. Make it your main aim in ministry to bring him the glory and honor that is his due. You, Lucas, must decrease so that he can increase. And say this often, not to me, Lord, not to me, but to you be the glory. Here are these words, Lucas, from 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so I'll see you at the finish line, brother, Lord willing. And now a quick charge to the saints of Evergreen, to the congregation. Evergreen Chapel, some of the most important instruction for you as it relates to your pastor and to your elders, is found in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 13, verses 17 and 18. Here's what the apostle or the author, inspired author to the Hebrews says, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Evergreen Chapel, I want to encourage you this morning to love and to support this man and his family. We have loved this man and his family at Rosedale. We always will. We we want you to love and to support this man and his family as he seeks to fulfill his vocation. Submit to Lucas's leadership as he submits to Christ. This is not unqualified submission, but submit to Lucas as he obeys and submits to Christ. Listen carefully to biblical instruction. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. There's no greater joy for a pastor. Not just to see pews filled on Sunday, but to see people who listen to the message putting into practice. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Encourage Pastor Lucas as a young leader in the Canadian church. Make his ministry a joy. Make his ministry a joy and not a burden. Hold him accountable to the standards of God's word, but resist the temptation to nitpick this man. Resist the temptation to become overly critical of this man or to grumble against him as the Israelites did to Moses. Pray for your pastor and his family. Ask the Lord that he would protect Lucas and enable him to fulfill his ministry faithfully. There is no greater service that you can do for your pastor and for your elders than to hold them up in prayer. Lucas, seeing the Lord's work in your life has been one of the greatest joys of my ministry thus far. And I say that completely honestly. This is one of the greatest joys of my my pastoral ministry. And I will always be available for you when you need prayer, when you need encouragement, a listening ear, and when you need advice. I will always be there. And the same thing is true of the other brothers, elders who have come up today to lay hands upon you and to set you apart for this work. And so at this time I want to call uh, the other elders of Rosedale to come forward and I'm going to call Lucas to come forward and we're going to lay our hands on him and we're going to pray for him and to set him apart for this work of pastoral ministry.
1: Father God, we come before you, our Heavenly Father. Uh, God, you are the giver of all good gifts. Mm -hmm. Um, And every blessing that is in our lives is from you, the Mm -hmm. Father of the light, who pours down good gifts upon us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, God, we thank you for our brother Lucas. God, you have been faithfully working in his life. God, we see the sincere and genuine faith that you've put in this man. Um, God, we see as well, and we've experienced the spiritual gifts. We've seen them. And God, you've set him apart mm-hmm. in order to place, to be an under shepherd under you, Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, mm-hmm. no receiver of souls. And God, we thank you that you've called Lucas to be an sh- under shepherd under you. And we pray here that you that all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that are his in Christ may continue to be found actively at work in his life by the power of you, Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pray that a spirit a fear may not be upon Lucas that you mm. will not become ashamed of the gospel mm. but you will continue to remember the, the power mm. that comes through the gospel to save mm. everyone mm. Um, God we pray that um, that uh, the desires of the flesh and self will not come up through um, uh, a spirit of fear because God we know that you've given a spirit of power, love and self-control mm. God, we pray that the, the giftings that you've given Lucas may continue to be administered to this church, to this body. Mm. Um, God, that as your word is faithfully preached, we know that you grow your church, you strengthen your church, and that um, we pray that the spiritual gifts as well amongst this body may continue to come forth, mm-hmm. that this body may continue to become strong and a bright light like a city on a hill for you and for your glory. And God, we also know that you're we are called to love, and we pray that the, the spirit of love may continue in Lucas's life. And God, that he may love you and love the saints. Mm. Um, God, that that will be a preeminent in his heart and mind as he continues to serve amongst the body. Amen. And God, we also pray for self control as well. Um, God, that um, that he may be continuing to deny himself uh, and continue to follow um, your calling and. Mm. Um, God, you give us as well the power to do that. And so we pray for this to be exercised in Lucas's life as Mm -hmm. well. Um, And God, we ask that um, his ministry may be found to be one that is faithful, so that he hears the words one day. We want this for Brother Lucas and for all here. Well done, good and faithful slave. Amen. We pray this in you, Lord Jesus, our King's name.
2: Amen. gracious God and Heavenly Father mm. what a joy to be here today
3: mm.
2: Lord what a privilege it is to be part of this and to see that you are even in this day you are calling mm. and equipping men Amen. for your service Amen. Mm-hmm. and Lord we thank you for, for Lucas yes, and for your call upon his life mm. and for your people that that have recognized your calling Mm. Lord we thank you for your great (coughs) wisdom Mm. Mm. in the way that you rule this world for the good of your church and that you will continue (coughs) to raise up men faithful men for the ministry Mm. thank you for this lovely and gracious family that you have called to Smith Falls Lord may your richest blessings attend them Mm. Mm we know that you are the overflowing fountain of all good. Yes. And we ask, Lord, on their behalf and on behalf of this congregation,
3: mm-hmm.
2: that you would guard them and keep yes. them in the name and in the love of Christ. Yes. Mm-hmm. I pray for grace for Lucas, that he would keep a close watch on himself and Amen. his doctrine. And,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and for Hannah, mm. that you would strengthen her. Yes. Because we know that they are one flesh mm-hmm. and that it isn't just one man in this ministry. Yes. Mm-hmm. So bless the family. Yes. Give them wisdom, patience, perseverance. Mm-hmm. That they may stand steadfast in mm-hmm. the faith mm-hmm. and in the power of your spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless them abundantly in mm. Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Amen.
3: Our Father in heaven, you are a great and awesome God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh. Father, you are you are holy, you are great, you are awesome, uh. and we have a privilege of serving you. Uh. Lucas has the privilege of serving you, uh. the great and awesome God of the mm. universe. Father, we pray that you would work in Lucas. We pray that your, your Holy Spirit would work powerfully in yes. Lucas. Mm-hmm. We pray that... that you, you would give him love and joy in his heart. Amen. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, he would continue to put to death sin mm. that, that he sees coming in his life. Mm. That he would be very proactive in looking for that. Mm. Father, we pray that you would work through Lucas to uh, to guide this church and to mm. guide his ministry wherever it is. <coughs> That we would that they would follow you with the entire heart, soul, mm. mind, and strength. Yes. And Father, as our brothers have said, we pray that you would work through Lucas and through and through the entire congregation Amen. to love one another mm. with as you Christ love us. Yes. We thank you that that Jesus died mm. and gave himself. For our sins, for Lucas sins. So now he is he is now righteous in your sight. Mm-hmm. We pray that you would be with us. Mm-hmm. What a blessing it is, what a privilege it is to serve you. So, Father, we thank you for this privilege and this blessing in Lucas life. Mm-hmm. Um, Amen.
0: Yeah. Our Father, we are reminded on this day that you are far more committed to the mission than we ever could be. Mm-hmm. Father, thank you for your commitment to the mission and to the Great Commission. Thank you, Lord, for your love mm. for the church, which is your bride. Yes. Your bride for, for whom you sent your son mm. to shed his blood, mm-hmm. that she would be pure and spotless Amen. in your sight. Father, what a, what a solemn calling mm. you place upon the elders of your church. Mm-hmm. And Father, I, I pray for this this brother, pastor today, yes. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Yes. Lord, even at times, Father, I think we, we here in Canada, we, we think a lot like Elijah out in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. We say, I'm the only one left, Lord. But we thank you for reminders on days like this. Amen. You have your remnant, Lord. Mm-hmm. There are 7,000 that have not bowed the knee. Mm-hmm. And Father, we thank you for evidence of that today, evidence of your faithfulness to your church and we pray, Father, not only for Lucas, but that you would raise up hundreds, mm-hmm. hundreds of godly men mm-hmm. who would shepherd the flock across this province, across our nation, Lord, that our nation would turn back to you, mm-hmm. and that Canada would be a nation whose God is the Lord. Mm-hmm. Our Father, please sustain our brother. Mm-hmm. Help him, Lord, to be faithful to do what you've called him to do. Mm-hmm. Father, help him to run the race with endurance, mm-hmm. to lay aside the sin that would trip him up, to accept discipline mm-hmm. from your hand as a good and kind and loving Father. Mm-hmm. And Father, as the hard-working farmer ought to be the first to taste of the fruit, I pray that you would bless Lucas, mm-hmm. bless, bless the labor of his hands, Lord, and that you would bless this church, pour out your blessing upon Evergreen. Mm-hmm. We pray that you would grow this church and the influence of this church here in Smiths Falls and in our nation's capital. And bless each and every member of this church, Father. Father, we also pray that you would raise up elders at this church, the men that you have chosen to come alongside of Lucas and to shepherd and to lead this church, Father. Lord, you are so good. Thank you that we can celebrate your calling, your faithfulness to the church today. And we pray that our brother, would be found faithful in the calling that you've placed on his life. We pray all these things in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. 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 Well, just before Lucas goes, I've got a certificate here to present. Something for Lucas to hang up in his office to remember this day. So, Lucas, that's a gift on behalf of, um, of the fellowship and on behalf of your ordaining church, Rosedale Baptist. Lord bless you, brother.